we are going to be obviously in John's gospel. And if you want to go ahead and find chapter 6, that's where we're going to begin this morning. And we're going to start uh, by looking at the first of the seven I am statements of Jesus in the gospel of John. And I want to take you back briefly to what we talked about last week as we introduced this series and there was a theme that, that will run through the entire series, and this is it, that for every who am I in us, there is an I am in Jesus. And I hope that you got a good grasp of what that means, um, that in every insufficiency that we have in us, every insufficiency that exists in our life, Jesus says, I am the fullness of the I am to, to fill in every one of those insufficiencies every need that we have. And it's important that we know who Jesus is because other people need to know who Jesus is. Amen? Right? Now, it's important that we have an understanding of who Jesus is because the world needs to know who he is and it's our commission to tell them who he is. So we need to spend time making sure that we understand exactly who Jesus is and who he is not. Because it's important because the Jesus that the world needs to know, they need to know Jesus, but they need to know him on his terms, not on their terms, not on our terms even. The world needs to know Jesus based on his terms. And in John chapter eight last week, we saw Jesus make a bold statement before the Pharisees, he said, before Abraham was, I am. He was taking that I am name that God gave Moses in Exodus. And he was applying it to himself, saying that he had full self-sufficiency, full power, and full authority over all things. And you remember last week I shared with you how our identity is wrapped up and it is always tied to something else. It's always tied to another person or another thing. But God's identity is not that way. He is who he is no matter what, no matter who, no matter when, no matter where. He is the I am and nothing changes that. He, he, he's not dependent on anything. And so I'm so grateful that as the I am, Jesus is the answer to every need that we can ever have. Aren't you grateful for that? And that's not just a cliche. That's not just a, oh, Jesus is the answer to everybody's problems and we move on. Like, he is the I am. That means that he is the fullness of every need that we have. And what I'm also grateful for is that Jesus is the fullness of, of every need that we could have, even the needs that we aren't aware of. Even the needs that we don't even know that we have in Jesus is the full sufficiency of those needs. Many times the greatest need that we have in our life is the thing that we're most unaware of. True? And and. And it's, it's difficult sometimes to discover that, but once you discover it, it, it changes your life. And we're gonna see an example of that this morning in John chapter six. 
John chapter 6 is long. If you've opened your Bibles, you can see there are 71 verses in chapter 6. But don't be afraid. Uh, Don't be scared. We're not going to go through all 71 verses. Um, But I do want to sort of summarize for you the picture of of the events in chapter 6. Verses 1 through 15 is the story of Jesus feeding the multitudes, feeding the 5,000, which we know historically was more than that. That just counted for the men. The story where Jesus says we need to feed these people. They say, Lord, we don't have anything. Oh, this little boy has a lunch. We can take his five pieces of bread, his two fish, but how much is that going to be for this many people? And so Jesus miraculously feeds the multitude that are there, the thousands of people who are there. And he has 12 baskets full of food left over after everybody gorges themselves till they, till they can't eat anymore. Obviously, that got the attention of the people. And then in verses 16 through 21, after that, Jesus retreats. He goes off by himself to be alone with the Father, which we see him do often in the Gospels. He sends the disciples. He puts them in the boat and tells them to go on across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum and that he would meet them. Well, when they're on their way, they get caught in a storm and they're scared and they're afraid they're going to die and they meet Jesus who comes out to them walking on the water. You remember this story as well. He comes and he meets them and he climbs into the boat with them and he calms the sea and the storm goes away and they continue and they go across the sea over to Capernaum. Now, verse 22 Sometimes we stop there because that's, that's the end of the miracle story. But in verse 22, what we see happen is the crowd who was a part of that miraculous feeding the day before shows back up the next day. They come back to that place on that side of the Sea of Galilee looking for Jesus and Jesus isn't there. And so they're so enamored by what he did the day before in feeding them, providing free food for everybody, And the miraculous nature of it, they're like, we got to find Jesus. So they all decide that their their boat's there. They had kind of come in because of the storms. And so they loaded up in the boat, said, we're going to go find Jesus. So they go across the sea to find him. And where we're going to pick up is in verse 25. They get across the Sea of Galilee and they find Jesus and his disciples. And what I want us to see is this dialogue between this first I am statement is a part of the dialogue between Jesus and these people who have come looking for, for something. They've come looking for what they think they want, but, but what they find when they get across the sea is something completely different than what they're looking for. Look with me in verse 25 of chapter 6. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. This is literally when the, the crowd goes hunting Jesus. And when they find him, their question is, Jesus, where have you been? Like, we've been looking for you, dude. We came back. Yesterday was amazing, 
Was it, yesterday was just incredible, Jesus. And we came back looking for you and you weren't there? Where have you been? What are you doing over here? <laughs> and, they, and they ask him this question, how did you get here? And when did you get here? But you notice Jesus doesn't answer their question. Jesus answers a question, but he doesn't answer their question. They come asking, why are you here? How did you get here? Jesus gives them the answer to the question of why they are there. Instead of telling them why he was there, he tells them why they are there. And he says, you know why you're here? It's not because you saw who I was. It's not because you saw the sign of the kingdom, the sign of the miracle was a sign to point you to my identity, but you didn't see that. You're here because you got your bellies full of food and you want more. And he, and he calls them out immediately and he, they came because they wanted to be filled physically again. They didn't come because they recognized the same spiritual need in themselves that Jesus recognized. They came because they wanted more food and they wanted to see another show. They wanted to be a part of another miracle. And you say, wow, that's lame. But isn't that human nature? If we were to go um, to decide as a church that we were going to go to the next Friday night lights at Pepperell High School at Lynn Honeycutt Stadium, and we as a church were going to set up two big tents. And on one of those tents, we're going to put a big banner that says eternal life. And then on the other tent, we're going to put a big banner that says free Chick-fil-A. <laughs> hey glory which tent is going to draw the biggest crowd absolutely it is that's absolutely true you know why because that's who we are that's who we are we, we are people who are more attracted by more concerned with physical needs with having our physical needs met we are more attracted to physical things than we are spiritual things look around us look at how much time and effort we put into acquiring physical things how much effort we put into material how materialistic we can become as people the amount of effort that we put into that Jesus is calling them out on their materialism. He's calling them out on their consumerism. And he says, you have a greater need than the one you came across the sea to fill. I see that need. I recognize it. And I am the full answer to that need that you have but you don't even know that you have it because you're so concerned with putting your effort in looking for these things that are temporary and material that won't last past today. They came the day before, they got full so much that they collected 12 baskets full of leftovers that nobody wanted to eat. But what happened when the sun rose the next day and they got up? They were empty again. 
And so they needed to be filled again. So they came looking for Jesus. And Jesus says, you don't get it. That's not why I've come. I tried to paraphrase sort of what I felt like might have been Jesus' sentiment to them. And, and I'm going to show it to you. This is, this is what I came up with. He says, look at what you've pursued me to find. What I actually came to bring you is so much greater. Why do you spend so much effort on such temporary insignificant things? He says, look at the, look at the work. Like they got up, went, couldn't find him. They came up with a plan. They, 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 there was a concerted effort. They all said, we, we're going to go find Jesus. And they put work in. They put effort in. They put resources in. For what? Another free meal. And it's as if Jesus is saying, look how hard you work to get here to find me just so that I could fill your stomachs full of food one more time that will be gone by the time you wake up tomorrow. Why do you want to work and put in the work and the effort for such temporary things that are going to be here now and gone tomorrow? Don't do that. Put, like, put your effort into something that lasts. Come looking for something that lasts. That should cause us to ask the question, why are we pursuing Jesus? What are we hoping to get from Jesus? Are we hoping to get more stuff? Are the blessings that we talk about as Christians, the blessings that we sing about, the good things, the benefits of following Jesus, are those the things that we're chasing after? Because if those are the things that are motivating us to follow Jesus, I think Jesus would call us into question just like he does this crowd. But calling them out at this point isn't enough for them. They still don't understand. We see the depth of their selfish indulgence because even when he says this, they still don't get it. They they continue to misunderstand. Look at what they say in verses 28 and 29. They're so focused on the food and the miracles they're looking for. So verse 28 says, what can we do to perform the works of God, they ask. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. So you see kind of the the progression of their thinking. They get there and Jesus says, look at all of the effort you've put into coming here. Like don't put your effort into coming to get a free meal. Like invest it in something that matters. Invest it in in spiritual things. And so their next question is, well, what can we do to perform the works of God? They basically say, Jesus, if you're telling us that we're putting all of our effort into the wrong thing, tell us what we're supposed to put our effort into and we'll do that. It was all about work. It was all about performance. It was about what is it that we're missing that we're not doing that we need to do. Again, still with the motivation of I want to get what I want from you so you tell me what I'm supposed to do so I can get it they mistakenly think that he's asking them to put their effort into something else some other work to get what they want but if you go back and look in verse 27 
when Jesus is telling them not, telling them not to work for, for physical food, he says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. He says, put your effort toward that, which the Son of Man will give you. And they misunderstand and they think what Jesus has to give them has to be earned. That they have to do something to get it. Jesus, there must be a checklist. Whatever this food is that you say you have that's better, then you just give us the checklist, Jesus. Just tell us what we have to do to get it. And we'll, and we'll do it. Because it was so amazing. It's so good. They missed completely that Jesus said he had come to give it to them. This is very similar to how a lot of people approach Jesus initially. Seeking to put all their self-effort into to proving their worth to Jesus. The same thing happened in Matthew, in Matthew 19. We know the story of the rich young ruler. He asked the exact same question that they are asking here. When he came to Jesus, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, I, tell me the commandment to follow. Tell me the rule to keep. Tell me what it is that I'm supposed to do to get what I'm looking for. But that's not the gospel. Let me tell you what, what the gospel is not and what it is. Here's a, a point I want you to remember. The gospel is not the call to redirect our efforts but to relinquish all our efforts in exchange for Jesus. And you may need to read that a couple of times and let that sink in. But if we are preaching a gospel to the world that says if you want the benefits and blessings of a life with Jesus, then you do this and this and this and this and then you'll get it, then we're preaching a false gospel. The gospel is not about your effort. It's not about correcting your behavior. It's not about modifying the way you do things so that, so that you can get the, the response from Jesus that you want. He doesn't say, he's not telling them, hey, take your effort off of this and put it into this work. He's saying, let go of your effort because your effort does you no good. You're not powerful enough. You don't, you don't have the capability to be able to create or do anything to bring about what I have to offer you. Jesus calls them and he calls us to come. Say, what is it that we, what is it that we do? We lay down our effort and we exchange it for Jesus himself. Not the blessings that Jesus brings or the benefits that come from knowing him. The, the thing that we are coming to is Jesus. Do you see the difference? You know, I thought about this, what Jesus says. He tells them to, to come. And I, I started thinking about when my boys were little and about when, you, when we have babies and we're we're watching them grow and obviously as, as parents and, and even grandparents, which we want to raise up our kids so that they can, they can function as independent people, right? And so there's, there's instruction that has to take place. And so when, when our kids, as they grow up, even as babies, we, we want to teach them how to, how to obey. We teach them what to do, what not to do. But maybe one of the first things 
that we ever teach our children before we can teach them to obey, I think the first thing we do is we teach them to come to us. Like before, before a baby can, can understand instructions about do this or don't do that, I think maybe their first instinct is to figure out who can they come to? Who is safe? And, and, and think about your little ones when you're raising them up. How many times have you gotten down, have you gotten down with them, especially when they're trying to learn how to walk? And how many times do you say to them, hey, come here, come here. What, what do you want from them when you ask that? Are they going to try to come to you? And did you ever stop them and say, no, 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 wait, you're doing it wrong. No, don't do it that way. No, you just want them to come. And you will open your arms up to grab them however way they can get to you. It may be crawling. It may be rolling. It may be that weird scooting thing that kids do before they learn how to crawl even. Or maybe they're learning how to walk and they can't even really stand up straight and they're falling down three and four times before they get to you. But all you're telling them is just come here, come. You remember the first time you see them reach their arms toward you? It's like that's the first moment that they that they, they're saying, hey, I want, I want to come. And then after they learn that they can come to you and there's trust, then you can begin to instruct them. Then you can begin to teach them about what, what they can do, what they can't do, and correct their, their bad behavior I think that's really similar to what Jesus is saying. He says, the gospel is not about you correcting your behavior. I just want you to come. Just come. Know who I am. Come to me. And then after you come to me, then we'll work on the behavior. We'll work on that stuff. Obedience is definitely a part of the Christian life. I'm not saying that disobedience isn't a part of it, but it's not the first part of it. He says, just come, believe. But they still don't get it. They still don't understand, so they continue to ask more questions. They're pursuing physical, material blessing. Jesus says, I've come to give you something more than that. Don't put your effort into those things that fade. Put your effort into eternal things. And then they say, okay, Jesus, what work, if we're supposed to redirect our effort, what effort is it that we're supposed to have? And Jesus says, I'll tell you what the effort is. Just come. Just believe. Don't, don't quit asking for a list of instructions. Believe. That's all, that's the only work that's required is to come. But look at verse 30. He calls them to come to him and to believe in him. Verse 30, what sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They asked, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread 
from heaven to eat. You see how they're, they're, they still don't get it because they're still talking about bread. They're still thinking about bread. They're still thinking about food. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. It's really interesting and, it, and it's really crazy to see their thought process. They go from asking the question, what must we do, to asking Jesus the question, Jesus, what are you going to do? They're still thinking in physical terms. They're still thinking about bread. And they've set conditions on their belief. Jesus says, the only thing that's required of you to come and take what I have to give you is to believe me. Believe in me. And they say, well, what are you going to do to convince us that we should believe in you? Wow. And they set conditions. It's as if they said, okay, Jesus, well, if we're supposed to believe in you, then, then how are you going to prove that, that you are who you say you are? Because you're no Moses. Yeah, you fed us once. You fed us yesterday, and that was awesome. And that's why we're back. But you know, Moses fed our ancestors every day for 40 years. Every day, he provided food for them. He did what you did over and over and over and over continually where they had food every day because of what he did. What you did yesterday was pretty cool, but you're no Moses. If you really want us to believe in you, you'll do what Moses did. It's all about the food. It's all about the, the bread. And so Jesus corrects them. And he says, what you don't understand is that Moses didn't give your ancestors anything. What the food that they had was given to them by my father. And right now, my father is giving you and offering you, he has sent bread, not that kind of bread that he gave, that he provided for the people through Moses, but a bread that's even greater. And I'm right here. He is, it, it all comes from my father. Because see, the Jews in this time, they actually believed that one of the signs of the coming Messiah would be the replication of that miracle from Exodus. The fact that Moses provided food for them on a continual basis. And this was a literal thing. They thought that one of the signs of the Messiah would be that he would come and do the very same thing that Moses did. So they're basically saying, okay, Jesus, if you say, if you're trying to make us think you're the Messiah, then you better measure up to our standards of what we think you're gonna do. And Jesus corrected them and he said, the source of the miracle in that day and in this day is my father. He said, the same God who fed your ancestors daily for 40 years is now giving the true bread that's come to fill your life, not your stomach. It's like, why are we so easily satisfied by things that are so temporary? You notice in verse 33, when Jesus says, he says, for the bread of God... He, there's no word from in that sentence. 
Jesus didn't say the bread of God is from the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He doesn't say the bread of heaven doesn't come from me. I am the bread. (laughs) Here's another point that I think is so important for us to constantly remember in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is not the bringer of our miracle. He is the miracle. Do we get that? Do we understand? I, I am so afraid that there, is, there are people filling churches everywhere this morning who think that Jesus is the delivery guy. He's the delivery guy. He's the one who comes to bring the benefits and the blessings. He comes to bring what it is that we're looking for. And Jesus the whole time is standing before them going, no, I am the thing. I am what you're, what, I'm the gift. I'm not the delivery boy. It's me. He is the full embodiment of every provision and blessing and he comes to give himself to us and we make him so small when we turn him into the delivery guy for the benefits and the blessings and the material things and all all of these things that we might give God credit for. Yes, those those do come with a life, with a relationship with Christ, a life in Christ. Absolutely those things come and we should be grateful for them. But, But if we make everything about those things and we forget the source of those things, then we're gonna starve. Jesus is not the delivery guy. And then he drops the I am bomb on them in verse 35. I am the bread of life, he told them. The thing that they say right before that in verse 34, they said, sir, give us this bread always. They're like, well, Jesus, we want, we want this bread that you're talking about every day. And he says, I am the bread. In verse 35, I am the bread of life, he told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day." Jesus in this first I am statement is showing us his divine nature as the source of all spiritual life. That's what this first I am statement is about. So here's last point to remember. As food is a source and sustainer of physical life, Jesus is the bread that gives and sustains all spiritual life. All spiritual life. It's not that there's a true spiritual life. Jesus is the source and sustainer of all of it. Any kind of spiritual life that's not 
that doesn't come from Jesus and isn't sustained from Jesus, it's just like another loaf of bread that's going to mold. He is the sustainer. He is the source. And he uses this illustration. He calls himself the bread of life because just like food is the source and sustainer of physical life, go without eating anything for a while. And, and some of you have. You know how long you can last? Like physicians and scientists will tell us that just based on your physical condition, it could be a little less or a little more. You could go around two months without eating anything and, and perhaps survive. Now, water is different. The body can't exist, can't function very long at all in a matter of days without water. But food... It can live off the stored fat in your body and you could go for about two months, give or take a few, and, and be okay. But if you continue to not put food in your body, it will starve and die. Real simple, right? And we learned that basic when we were a kid. If you don't eat food, you will die. That's how essential Food is bread for physical life. Jesus says what bread is and food is for the physical body, I am for your spiritual life. I am fully. That means what? Without Jesus, your spiritual life, you go without Jesus, the end will be death. No source of spiritual life, no sustaining of spiritual life, you die spiritually. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the source of that life. And here's all the reasons that the bread of life, Jesus, is so much better than physical bread. One, there's no limited stock or supply of it. You know those days that you go in the grocery store, somebody says it's going to snow, right? And you're like, we can't find any bread. Everybody rushes to get the bread and you see the empty shelf. There, there, there's no out of stock on the bread of life. There's no, uh, there's no short supply because Jesus says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And everyone who sees and believes in me will have eternal life. So there's never a limited stock or supply. And praise God, there's no expiration date on the bread of life. Amen. <laughs> there's no expiration date. It doesn't go bad because Jesus says, I will, to the ones who come to me, I will never cast out. There's no time limit to it. There's no expiration date. Every spiritual growth in us is supplied by Jesus. So don't be fooled into thinking that, that your spiritual growth as a believer has something to do with, with you. Yes, your pursuit of Jesus, but that, that nu the nutrients that grow you spiritually don't, don't come from you. They come from Jesus because he is the bread of life. Just like the nutrients that you get from your food supplies your body so that it can grow and develop. All of those spiritual nutrients in our life come from Jesus. He's the source of those things. And a spiritual life that goes too long without Jesus, the end result is death. 
Jesus says, I am the full source of the spiritual life. And so I ask you this morning, have you accepted Jesus that way? Have you accepted Jesus as the full source of all of your spiritual life? Or have you tried to add Jesus into your own recipe for spiritual life as an ingredient? Have you tried to create your own spiritual nourishment with this recipe of, of, of church attendance and good works and, and, and mo good morals, good reputation, all of these things, like mixing all of these things together to create this spiritual life for yourself and then taking Jesus and trying to throw Jesus in the pot as an ingredient. Jesus is no ingredient. He's the, he's the main course. He's, he is it. And you say, well, how do we do that? Jesus says, Jesus says in verse 35, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. He doesn't say no one who, who does all, everything on the list, no one, the, the ones who check everything off, right, and perform everything the way they're supposed to. He says, no, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. He says, all, all you have to do is come. And then no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So he says two things. You come and you believe. We believe trusting that there is nothing else and there's no one else that's the source of our spiritual life, including us. And we come. And when we come, we move from where we are and we move towards something else. We can't come to anything. I can't come to anything else until I'm ready to leave where I am. And Jesus says, come to me, meaning leave where you are. Leave all of that stuff that you've depended on. Leave that fascination for all of those physical things. And don't worry about those things. Come to me. Believe in me. And when we do that and we recognize and see him for who he is, he says, every spiritual need will be filled and you'll never, ever be hungry for anything else.